Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. Today, we're going to do something slightly different. I'm joined by Linda Gasparello, the co-host of the program. Yes, indeed, I am the co-host. And we- Thank you for introducing me. Oh, you're very <laughs> welcome. Uh, we're going to do one of our periodic conversations in which we talk between ourselves about the affairs that we cover as journalists. Uh, Linda will ask me an opening question, perhaps. Right, I'd love to. We were talking a little while ago about the fact that 2022 has never really ended. There are issues that are still at the top of, of everybody's mind. And Llewellyn recently put those issues that were at the top of his mind into a column. And I thought we would run through that column and those issues so that you can compare it with the issues that are at the top of your mind too. Llewellyn, let's start with the war in Ukraine. Well, the war in Ukraine is the great ugly thing of our time. There is daily suffering. A country is being pulverized. Every day we're sitting there as uh, spectators to horror. Uh, and we are helping, uh, the United States is helping a lot with material, uh, with money, but of course we don't have boots on the ground. If, if there was a mistake that uh, President Biden made, it was in saying there would be no boots on the ground, which uh, means that it gives a certain confidence to Vladimir Putin, the uh, Russian dictator. Uh, I think there will have to be a political solution. I think it will come this year. I think it will come earlier than people thought. But afterwards, there'll be a huge reconstruction job. The nature of that settlement, it'll be a very difficult negotiation because the Ukrainians have said they want everything they had back, including Crimea. That's unlikely. I read a very good article by Henry Kissinger in an English magazine called The Spectator, in which he said uh, the only possible solution would be back to the borders that existed when Putin invaded uh, Ukraine proper, not Crimea. So it's really a matter of all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, couldn't put Ukraine together again. But I'm really wondering with the new Congress that we have, how long Republicans in the new Congress are gonna support our efforts, efforts undertaken by President Biden to help the Ukrainians. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think there's a there's a rump uh, that doesn't support our efforts in Ukraine, but I think the great majority of Republicans support our efforts. It's a case of freedom, it's a case of fairness, it's a case of justice, and if we don't stop Putin now, he'll be encouraged elsewhere, like the Baltic states, and other dictators will be encouraged. And the Republicans, those who are slow to support what we are doing, need to take that into account. They're opening the floodgates to invasions elsewhere if they don't uh, stay with their support for our support of Ukraine. Is there any support among our allies for what uh, Vladimir Zelensky would like to do uh, in terms of taking the whole back? No, instead no, of, there isn't. I think yeah. people realize that that is not going to happen. But uh, the territorially um, complete Ukraine, the one that was invaded, 
that has to be maintained. Its integrity cannot be uh, questioned. It cannot be chopped up into further pieces. Uh, I think we will see a political solution, but the daily death toll, the daily suffering toll, it's winter, it's cold, and very cleverly, the Russians have gone off after the electric supply, and a modern nation without electricity is devastated. Uh, that is the new reality of war. We used to go for transportation. Now you go for electricity. You shut off the electricity. You also essentially shut off the transportation. Um, you can't have air traffic control without electricity. You can't have trains running because their whole systems are computerized, which are electrically driven. And of course, an awful lot of trains are electric anyway. Well, of course, uh, one of the things that has made this bombing of the electricity infrastructure so easy has been the introduction of those deadly Iranian drones. Well, drones have changed the nature of warfare, and we have to contemplate a different world. I mean, we have to look at our own forces, our own defense forces. Is this the future? Do we need aircraft carriers in the way we did? Do we even need manned aircraft? It is a new day in warfare. It's sort of rather like the time in 1915 when the tanks were introduced in the First World War and everything since then has been different. But let's move on a bit. One of the consequences that I see from Ukraine, of course, is the millions of people who have become refugees who've left the country, moved into Poland and their other neighboring and are flooding across Europe. Some have come to America, but that is part of a huge global migration. People are on the move everywhere. Uh, we tend to think of immigration as being something that affects our southern border, all those people from Central and South America, and those who have gone to Central and South America all to get into the United States. But in fact, the whole world has a migration problem. You have people in North Africa getting small boats across the Mediterranean to Greece and Italy uh, and Spain. Uh, it is a, a huge problem there. And of course, the English Channel, which the Brits always thought was defense against everything, the 25 miles of water that uh, stretches between France and Britain, well, it's become very narrow in, in time of outboard engines, little boats are crossing. Last year, 500,000 migrants made it to the British shores. Well, we recently saw that there were boatloads of migrants that had come from Africa that were refused entry in Italy, Italy under its new leadership, and they were sent to France instead. That will not continue in the European Union, that, that moving migrants from one place to the next can't continue in the way that in the United States, it's very hard for me to see how, how the plane loads of, or bus loads of migrants that are being sent from Florida up to New York, up to Washington, up to the door of the vice president of the United States, whether that's going to be able to continue. It is such an urgent issue. It is not only war that is causing these migrations. It's also the environment, it's global warming. You can't grow, many of these migrants are farmers. They can no longer grow anything, any crops in their lands. Um, and life for them has become 
unsupportable, unsustainable. There's a, there's a list of things. We know them. It's, it's one agricultural failure, which is uh, economic failure, general economic failure, warfare in a country, also total lack of civilized control of institutions in a country, gangs. Um, there are all sorts as of reasons. As in Haiti. As in Haiti, but they're also, and, and really in Mexico, right. uh, there are all sorts of reasons why people are on the move. Uh, and we tend to think, as I said earlier, just about our southern border, but take Africa, for example. They're not all making it across the Mediterranean. Africa is a very large continent. Southern Africa is full of migrants, which include uh, 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 some 3 million or 4 million Zimbabweans who fled into South Africa seeking a better life and not necessarily finding and causing a lot of local uh, hostility and difficulty. And of course, you have in, in, in North Africa, you have migrants moving to you have, uh, it is a large problem globally. And my point, if I have any point in the column you mentioned is that the, the, uh, the philosophies of governments are not equipped to deal with this. Uh, you know, Republicans will say we have a migrant problem in the US because the Democrats have not solved it. But the Republicans didn't solve it either. Nobody has any solid idea of what to do uh, besides try to seal the borders. And that doesn't totally work as the British have found out, as the Greeks have found out, and of course, as we have found out, it's a terrible problem. Another problem that comes and has moved from the last uh, year into this year is suddenly energy is an issue again. Back in the 70s and 80s, energy was a huge issue. It was the dominant issue in politics globally. Geopolitical politics were affected by it. Now it's an issue again, largely because Russia is such a massive exporter of carbon fuels, uh, uh, fossil fuels, natural gas and oil and coal for that matter. But there's another issue. Yes. And that other issue is the fact, as you said in your column uh, and in other columns, that we are demanding more things be electrified. And the electrification, this increasing electrification of the United States is placing demands on our energy that we never had before. Absolutely, Linda, absolutely. Uh, we are asking in order to get the, to reduce the greenhouse gases coming out of power plants, we're asking uh, that we convert from natural gas, which is the right. principal fuel for making 38% of our electricity, uh, that that be curtailed. There's still 19% of our electricity comes from coal. That is to be curtailed. And uh, we're going to go to more wind, more solar, hopefully more geothermal and occasional, uh, maybe a little bit more hydro, but there's not many possibilities for that. Uh, but in order to do that, we may introduce an instability in our electric supply. Um, everybody knows that the wind doesn't always blow. Everybody knows the sun when it shines. Uh, but there are other problems. There are supply chain problems. We can't build these alternative energy systems fast enough because we can't get the materials to do it. At the moment, there is an acute shortage in this country of uh, transformers, 
on the pole, not the big transformers that you get in substations, but the ones that are cylindrical things, you can look up and see them. Uh, you can't have an electrical system without it. And you can't put in new hookups unless you can get new transformers for the poles, let alone the big ones. Let so there's this tremendous constraint on the speed in which we can electrify even while we're seeking to do so. Right, seeking to do so. Let me pick up on that idea. We are seeking to do so on, in the Biden administration, which believes that electrification is the answer. Uh, we're moving into the electrified century and we're moving, uh, we're moving too quickly um, for the many uh, sources of energy that, that the administration would like to see be used for the electrification. What is the Department of Energy's role in this? The uh, Department of Energy's role is very critical. It is uh, the funnel through which a lot of new money is coming into electricity. There's two major bills that have increased funding for electricity, but it doesn't fix the supply chain. It doesn't fix the speed at which we can site uh, new transmission lines. We need to put big transmission lines from the West where there's a, an abundance of solar opportunities and an abundance of wind opportunities. As they say, the wind and solar resources are huge and move them to the East, to Chicago and New York, et cetera, where there are less options. But uh, that's not a Department of Energy problem. That is a local authority problem. Nobody wants new power lines coming through their state or their neighborhood. I wrote a column suggesting we should build some new power lines and I got all this vicious mail which said, you go and live next to a power line. If you want power lines, you live next to them. We've got enough already, but of course we don't. We have to move the power around. We also have to, and there's a lot of effort going into it, Linda, we have to do uh, a lot of better job in storing electricity. That means batteries, and other devices for storing electricity. One idea is that rather than abandoning natural gas altogether, we compress it as we do and keep it in, in storage in the ground, which we do, and use that essentially as a battery. Uh, I find that quite attractive. Purists who want no carbon fuels at all, no fossil fuels, uh, don't like that so much. So I think that uh, a takeaway from this is the administration and everybody in the United States would like to have more electricity. You want the electric car, the administration wants you to have that electric car and we'll even give you a tax break on it. But you want all of these things that are electrified and yet we do not have the transmission because who wants the transmission lines in their backyard, right? Well, so we're really at an impasse. Well, a very disturbing uh, statistic uh, at least it disturbs me, is that if you get in your home, if, assuming you have a normal suburban home, if you get one or two electric cars and charge them up at night, which is the idea, that will increase your electric consumption by an incredible 40%. Right. 40% means that you need more electricity, but if you spread that across the neighborhood, everything in that neighborhood delivering that electricity has to be increased in its capacity to carry electricity and on down to the grid itself has to be able to carry 
40% more electricity. Now, there are some pretty elaborate, and I, I will hear about this, I have no doubt, there are some pretty elaborate systems, one of which is that all these electric cars can also be used as batteries and feed power back into the utility system, or that you can take all the school buses and make a when they're not running and when they're not charging, that you can use them as a source of power. The thousands right. and thousands. May I say, attention, attention, all of you F-150 lightning uh, orders that you have not received yet. Uh, but I'm sure you're thinking about this. Well, they say that this is the solution. It may be. We don't know. Um, we, we, we're not going to fall off a cliff, I hope. But I think we're going to have some very ugly periods. We're already very stretched in electric supply. So far this winter, we've had devastating weather, snowfalls that we've never seen in Buffalo, freezing in, in Texas, uh, um, hurricanes. Hey, wait a minute, we've had sabotage. And sabotage. So uh, it's already very stretched, any additional problem. And then that leads, any discussion of energy must lead into a discussion of climate, because why are we making these changes? We're making these changes in order to stop the accelerated change in the climate, uh, global warming, if you will. Uh, and it's pretty devastating. The, we've got sea level rise rises everywhere. We have glaciers melting. And it's important that we stop pumping carbon into the atmosphere, which is the largest of a set of greenhouse gases. Right, but not to mention water deficits in many of our states. So we, well, anyway, we've got a whole panoply of problems. Right. Uh, and I wonder, and I constantly wonder this, Linda, whether our political philosophies, our liberal and conservative philosophies, the two predominant political philosophies, whether either of them is capable of dealing with the new issues, because these issues are not easily addressed by either liberalism, old-fashioned traditional liberalism, or by conservatism, that we may not have the philosophical ability to deal with new things. For example, how about social media? How about Twitter? We've never seen anything like Twitter. And we, we, we don't have a solution. We don't know how to maintain freedom of speech and curtail hate speech. The two are in conflict, so you can't do it. And we don't have a good political philosophy there either. Uh, we have to have our, our thinking catch up with our reality. And I suspect that our thinking or our political thinking, the thinking of the Congress and the thinking of the ruling class, if you will, which is a rather old-fashioned way of talking about people who make decisions. Yeah. Uh, but they have not caught up with the times we live in, all the crises we face. It sort of conjures uh, up thoughts of the U.S. Constitution and whether or not, it, in a way, it's outdated and cannot deal with modern right. with modern issues. I think it's not outdated. I think it's very flexible. I think people choose to read into it the rigidity that isn't there. And that's a political manipulation of constitutional law. Um, and there are many issues where just simple reading the Constitution does not equate with what the Supreme Court has said. You know, the other big thing, the other great storm cloud up there in the 
Believe me, another one that has drifted into 2023. Well, it's one that is building, and it's very worrisome, and that is our relationship with China. Uh, at every level, it is becoming a problem. Uh, it's a problem because they don't respect our intellectual property. It's a problem because of their trade practices. It's a problem because their imperial attitude to much of the world, especially Africa. And it's a problem because they may be emboldened by Putin. I mentioned this earlier, what happens when nations get emboldened to invade Taiwan, which they feel is part of China. Uh, will we support Taiwan? If we do, we're into war with China. And there are only two possibilities of war with China, both of which are almost beyond contemplation. One is that you have a non-nuclear war, that somehow there's enough restraint. So you have a conventional war, which initially would favor the US, but in time might favor China because of their superior number of people. Uh, they could wear us down with attrition. And if we went to nuclear war, uh, the life we have known would be destroyed. You would incinerate large parts of the US, large parts of China, millions of people would die. Uh, and afterwards, as after so many wars, you wonder what was it all about? Well, you also wonder if internal problems in China and with its leadership um, will lead to uh, the attempt to show leadership um, to the Chinese by flexing their muscles uh, in war. And that does happen, where there have been countries where there have they've had restive populations and flexing your muscles in a war is a way to show that you are leading the country. And it's hard for people to be restive when they're at war. Well, so, you're so right there, Linda, you're so right. We've seen this resort, for example, with the invasion of the Falkland Islands in order that's to right. divert um, uh, attention to the mismanagement that the uh, junta was uh, engaged in, in Argentina tragic and in China we can see economic problems we can see we can see the fact that they that the leadership showed weakness by uh, allowing the protests uh, against the COVID lockdowns to actually change their policies on COVID uh, and there's it, it, there may be something that will trigger their feeling that they need a war in order to coalesce the country. And as we said in history, this has been done. Um, so it's a, it's a fragile time. As we wind down our conversation, Linda, let's look at some of the things that are going right. It's very easy to say what's going wrong, but some things are going amazingly right. Well, thank you. I feel relieved already. Uh, <laughs> well, medicine I, is getting better all the I time. I didn't wear black for because I wanted all doom and gloom. Uh, medicine is getting better all the time. New drugs are coming to market. We're about to see it's unclear how effective they'll be, but right. Alzheimer's drugs, the war on cancer continues. Many cancers are no longer uh, fatal when they were fatal. It doesn't mean that we are not all scared of cancer because I've, I think it's the sum of all human fears about medicine uh, or about illness. Uh, but, and on the other hand, you've still got to remember that despite continuing crisis, more people in the world are living better than they ever have before, and more Americans are living better than ever. We do have one domestic crisis that needs attention, 
And again, it's not easily soluble and it's not easily solved by any particular prevailing political philosophy. And that is homelessness and the housing shortage. Again, it's not peculiarly just our problem. It's an international problem. It's a problem in Britain. It's a problem in the European continent. Um, I've been interested in it for years. And the causes of homelessness are very complex. First of all, not enough houses. Right. That's one. But then there are a lot of houses have come off, or a lot of housing, not houses, but housing has been taken off the market because uh, of B and Bs or because of drugs and people no longer want to rent rooms in their homes. They don't know who they're going to get or because people are too rich. They don't need a lodger. Remember, you think of all those English plays and movies about the lodger. Well, nobody has lodgers. Or there have been investment firms that have bought up the houses. Uh, all of that. And the other great tragedy is that uh, the suburbs, the leafy, glorious suburbs where apparently everybody wants to live, uh, the management of the suburbs, the local politicians don't want any density of population there. They don't want any apartment buildings. So they were not building the apartment buildings and the only way to solve the problem is apartment buildings, lots of them. Uh, and every economic uh, 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 strata. strata. Uh, we don't just need, I think it's all often you know, very dangerous to say they're going to be affordable because people think it means cheap. They think, oh my God, that means crime. They simply need to flood the market with housing and the market will sort out who lives where, what is affordable. But without some way of allowing developers to develop more apartment buildings, we're going to continue to see the strange and terrifying phenomenon of tent cities in our cities. What is your good news? Do you see something very promising coming along? I, I would like to mention something. <laughs> Let me think about that yeah. while you You may notice something. that I, I'm not entirely starved of ideas. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sad to say that I think neckties are for it. I'm wearing a traditional necktie, but last year it sort of they sort of disappeared. I hope they get a revival. But one of the things that I do think is very interesting, and that is the enormous amount of local theater. Uh, I've been talking to people who say, you know, where I live, the theater is really very good. They're not talking about Broadway. They're not talking about the great productions. They're talking about local theaters, uh, often almost entirely amateur, with high standards, and it interests people in theater, um, people who would never otherwise go to theater. Well, I think we can end this on a high point by saying that our one and only talent as Noel Coward said, is a talent to amuse. And I hope we have informed and amused you today. I and hope you notice, Linda, there's a beautiful <laughs> piece of silk from Liberty to uh, London. London. And it would be tragic to have all, all the tie makers go out of business, although neckties actually have no use whatsoever. You can do perfectly well without one. Cheers. <laughs> White House Chronicle is available 
as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we are there.